Hello and welcome, Cade Mila-Falcher, to Clancy's Kitchen. This is a very exciting moment for us because we've been talking about this for quite some time. And today is the day, boys. Bula Boss. Galair. Bula Boss. So, Clancy's Kitchen, who are we? What are we all about? Um, I guess the easiest way to explain it is that the podcast is a spin-off from our show, Clancy's Kitchen, uh, which we've been touring around Ireland and the UK uh, for the past little while, we plans to go to Germany and the USA, but like all other performers, uh, that's got to go on hold for the time being. Uh, but the upshot of that is that it's allowed us this time to develop this idea of the podcast. So we're really looking forward to having family and friends and people coming in and singing a few songs, playing tunes, telling us stories. Cup of tea. Cup of tea. Uh, while we're at it, I guess uh, the easiest way for us to explain what we're all about really is to show you our promo, which we're going to play for you now. And uh, we'll come back and talk to you after that. Well, I grew up in Carrick and Shore in the Clancy Brother household. And the kitchen was the hub of all the songs and the stories and the music. I suppose the kitchen was the heartbeat of the home and, uh, and was where all, all the fun was had and, and all the sessions were held and it probably still is today actually. As I rode up on a May morning, on a May morning right early, I met my there was always great music, sing songs and stuff going on in the household. My father was, he was always singing snippets of songs. No matter what topic would come up and the news are in conversation, he'd have a song to go with it. And uh, we used to get great, great fun out of that. I think for me personally, it was uh, the storytelling element and, and the recitations that, that I suppose really resonated with me um, because, you know, you just, you'd hear everything from from sort of W.B. Yeats to, to Dylan Thomas to James Joyce. Why can't you kiss a man without going and marrying him first? You sometimes love to, wildly. When you feel that way so nice all over you, you can't help yourself. I wish some man would take me sometimes and kiss me in his arms when he's there. There's nothing like a kiss. Long and hot down to your soul. Almost paralyses you. Then I used to hate that confession. When I go to Father Corrigan, he touched me, Father. What harm if he did? Where, my child? And I said, on the canal bank like a fool. But whereabouts in your person, my child? on the leg behind. High up, was it? Yes, Father, rather high up. Was it where you sit down? Lord, could you just say bottom and have it over with? Sure, what difference did it make anyway? In my teenage days, I would have been introduced to Finbar Clancy and Peg Clancy's son, Collie Power, and and they would have had a huge influence in, in my music and playing with the guys. And um, when I started to play banjo, then um, Kevin Power would have had a great influence and 
in a great line for me playing. Francie's Kitchen, to me, is a place I visited first in 1996. And when I walked into Clancy's Kitchen, it was like a mirror image of my home, an echo of West Wales because of the love of music, song, the crack, and culture in general. The houses are blind as moles, though moles see fine tonight in the snouting velvet dingles, or blind as Captain Cat, there by the muffled middle of the pump and the town clock. The shops in mourning, the welfare hall in widow's weeds, and all the people of the lulled and the dumbfound town are sleeping now. Well, I come from West Wales, from a small village called Fastrassol, and I was steeped in folk and traditional music when I was young, of Wales, but also my parents were lovers of Irish music and world Celtic music. See hello. Cusca, cusca, um, hunting clues. See hello, Mabi. Clancy household was a hive of activity, particularly the kitchen. There were always musicians and singers coming and going. The songs I like the most are the ones I would have heard growing up from my father, his brothers and the extended family. And uh, songs like The Parting Glass. That was a constant at every party at the end of the night. Sorry for my going away. And all the sweethearts that hair I've had They would wish me one more day to stay But since it falls unto my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll gently rise and I'll softly call Good night and joy be with you Well, with this show, what we'd really like to do is, is to give people a taste of what it was like growing up in Clancy's kitchen. At night is my delight the I'm really looking forward to sharing the fun culture, the songs, the recitations, the stories that come from Clancy's Kitchen in Carrick and Shore Island. That kind of feel of where it brings you back to, yeah, this is this is what life is about really.
my God. <laughs> so there we are. You know, it's amazing looking back um, to where it all began in the little house in William Street, Carrick and Shore. And uh, just looking at it there, I was thinking about how it must have been. I mean, there were, there were 11 kids raised in the house. And, uh, you know, for the brothers who went off to the States, and then, of course, there was a big age gap because Donald, your father, Liam, was the youngest. He must have heard all the stories coming back from the States and Tom and Paddy going out there and setting up a, a theatre. And I, I'm just thinking, you know, because for, for a lad from Carrick on Shore at that time, hearing these stories coming back from places like Greenwich Village, which was the hub of everything back then, wasn't it? I mean, well, I it must have been like another planet. And hearing the stories coming back, I'm wondering how that in, inspired him in terms of going into performance. I th- well, I think some of his earlier memories before that were, um, I think there's a few jumpsuits that Tom had in, when he was uh, in World War II. And they were hanging up in the house. The gas mask and everything, the whole. And he said it was like, uh, there's two of them there. They're like two kind of aliens (laughs) hanging there on the wall. Stranger things, how are you? (laughs) But uh, they send back lots of books and magazines. And uh, I think Paddy had a big trunk that was full of books, but it was locked. So I think they had to get permission from Paddy to break open the lock, which I did. And it was like a treasure trove of literature. And, you know, that kept my father going as a kid. You know, there's everything in there. From, you know, classic literature, there's Homer and, uh, you know, the Odyssey and the Iliad and, you know, John Steinbeck. And these were Paddy's. I I believe so, yeah, yeah. So obviously somewhere along the line they had decided that they they wanted to become actors. That was was the plan. That was the idea. Well, I'm not, um, they went to Cleveland, Ohio. They went to Canada first, then Cleveland, Ohio. I think that in Cleveland where, I think that's where Tom really became interested in theatre. And after that, then they, they went to Greenwich Village and they took over um, Cherry Lane Theatre, which is still there to this day. Uh, they took over the running of it. And um, when they got into trouble trying to pay the, pay the lease on the building, they used to put on concerts because the music scene was starting to bubble up at that time in, in yeah. the village. Yeah. So, so there wasn't an intention... Yeah, that's how I understood it as well. There wasn't this, they didn't go out there thinking, hey, let's become singers. Um, Like the acting thing was there and that's what they wanted to do. But because they weren't making as much at at a certain point in in the theatre, they thought, well, let's supplement this by singing a few songs and see how we get on. Well, singing, I mean, at that stage in the 50s, it wasn't something you did, you know, as a, the singing was just something that was in the household, it was in part of the culture. It was as natural as breathing. So they took an interest in, in you know, the theatre theater and literature and all that, poetry. So uh, people didn't go off to become singers, you know, f- out of Carrick at that, in those days. No. It, you know, ne- ne- they never considered that at all. It took some courage, I'd say, you know, because you come from a, you know, you're talking about the late 50s and the 60s, aren't you? You know, to, to actually go out there and go to somewhere like New York, to be actors, you know. However we think today, must have taken some courage, you know. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you couldn't survive acting. Like, you'd have to, you'd have to supplement whatever nothing, you were getting no, from acting at that point. Nothing's you know? changed there. Exactly, they were waiting to get a part, you know, auditioning and doing all that kind of thing. Um, so they had all sorts of different jobs. 
and they used to get together uh, to sing just for their own amusement. And at some stage they kind of saw, you know, this is more fun than yeah. being stuck in a play for six months. And, yeah. you know. I think it was Tommy Macon, wasn't it? Came up with, wasn't Paddy working for, um, was it Tradition Records or something like that? Traditional records, and wasn't it Tommy Makem who who kind of suggested, well, let's let's do an album. We'll bring everyone together and do an album. Well, they started tradition to release the the uh, music they had collected around Ireland with Deanne Hamilton. She came over, and my father, your father, went with her to collect the music all over the country. And at first, they hoped some label might pick this stuff up, and. Uh, somebody suggested to them that start your own record label. Uh, not them, to, to Deanne Hamilton. She had the money to do this kind of thing. So that's how traditional records were started, just to release the field recordings they'd made. It's an awful shame that they didn't uh, record that journey around Ireland, isn't it? Because my, my father's told me stories about that as well, that uh, I think your dad was quite young at the time and you know, he said, come on, come on with us. You can help us carry the equipment yeah, or whatever. Basically, come on. They needed yeah. to, uh, you someone know. To, to help out. Exactly. And uh, as you say, Diane Hamilton was one of the Guggenheims, but she was keeping that under wraps because, you know, I guess anyone and everyone had sort of want yeah. a piece of it then. Yeah. Um, but wouldn't you love to see that, them going into these little old pubs in Ireland and, and talking to characters? And Well, it's all it's written down. You know, they, they had to go looking for Padraig O'Keefe, the fiddler down in Scarta Glen. And uh, this, you know, it was a big adventure heading off, and uh, that's when they first met the Makems. They wound up in Katy, and like my father used to say, like you said earlier, how the Clancy kitchen is like a mirror image of your own, your own kitchen at home. The Makems' house is the very same. Yeah. Sarah Makem was like Mammy Clancy; she was the, the queen bee, and she was had hundreds of songs. So that's uh, other people who came to collect music in Ireland had gone to Sarah Makem as well because she was just this encyclopedia of old yeah. And, and old thank God songs. for those people because the songs might have been lost otherwise. You know, yeah. it wasn't the done thing in Ireland. It was kind of considered, oh, you know, uh, they were they were kind of the maudlin old songs, but they kind of took them and revived them and made them into something different, didn't they? They, they kind of put the oomph into them. And yeah, got I remember the, my the father passion. saying that um, when when... This interest developed in the old songs that his mother started remembering songs that he never heard her sing before. And neighbours and relatives, they had this whole wealth of, of ancient material that's been, that had been passed on that nearly got lost, you know. My father still does that today, you know, back in Wales. You know, you're talking about that mirror image. Out of the blue, now and again, he'll say something like, Tiddy Clawed Hon, have you heard this one? And they go, no, I have never, oh, your grandfather lived this one. And there's something nice about that natural progression, isn't there? When something happens naturally in tradition, that it's not like, right, I want you to learn this song or whatever, but it's passed on or you hear it, as you said, in a snippet here and there. And there's something nice about that. On the road, as your father said, you know, yeah, like yeah. Uh, the traveller, you know, finding these songs on his way. Yeah. There's something nice about that. But the... um the the record label then they had to build up a catalogue tradition. So Tommy Makem had arrived in New York. They were singing in the White Horse Tavern and uh, it was kind of suggested to him, you know, do a few albums, kind of theme, themes. They had a, did an album of rebel songs, another one of drinking songs. 
It's called Songs of Drinking and Blackguarding. <laughs> Songs of Drinking and Blackguarding. Sure, that's what we do anyway. We may as well record it. <laughs> and it took off from there. Yeah, it's just that's how that was before. Yeah, the Columbia got involved. It was very raw at that stage. Yeah, yeah. but I think there was something about that uh, that it wasn't uh, there wasn't pressure involved. It was kind of like, well, we we can do this. This is easy. This is what we do anyway. Um, and that kind of took the pressure off. So they really enjoyed singing. And then other people listening in would, would, you know, you pick up on that. It's like yeah. that in, enjoyment of it, as opposed to being, oh, let's set out to make this a career. No, let's they, set out yeah. to- they developed it from just doing it, especially in the way a lot of the scene was then. Mm. He usually um, got booked, you know, as a resident in a club or whatever for weeks. So you can really hone your craft, you know, and they used to, there'd be a few acts on the bill, so they got to see other great, like they... Used to open for Josh White, and obviously they learned so much watching him, his stagecraft, and how he could uh, how he could command an audience. So they were learning just naturally by going out and doing yeah, it. And yeah. and then of course they got their big break on the Ed Sullivan show. Yes, which uh, yeah. I don't think they quite realised at the time the big deal it was because I mean there, there was no television in Ireland at that point, was there? It hadn't quite developed yet. I think even in the states, TV was kind of it was. It was taken off, so everybody tuned in to the Ed yeah. Sullivan show on a Saturday about, night, and suddenly about eighty million or something, something watched yeah. it something live. Like that. Live, yeah. So the next day, they'd basically be walking in the street, and most of the country would know them. Yeah, it's, it's nothing yeah. like that, you know. No corresponding yeah. uh, medium today, you know, of what television used to be back in the sixties. Just a couple people. of stations. Yeah. And yeah, I remember Tom, there was an interview with Tom saying, uh, I think Paddy and Tom the next day were going somewhere and they had the sweaters with them and thrown over the shoulder and people going, hey, buddy, I saw you last night and well yeah, done. And overnight. They're saying, Jesus, Paddy, I think we might be famous. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably where it comes from, the overnight success, you know, yeah. because of that exposure, yeah. But they somebody else cancelled the first time they were on the Ed Sullivan show. One of the other acts got sick, so they had to improvise a whole 20-minute segment, so... You know, you get 20 minutes on the Ed Sullivan show and you were made. 80, 80 million people watching. Yeah. You're made, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But their audiences to begin with, I think, weren't necessarily Irish or Irish Americans. Isn't that right? No, like in the folk clubs, I think it was, um, I remember, was it your dad? Liam was saying they had a, a big Jewish following. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, after, I think after the Ed Sullivan, people started to identify with the Irish image. You know, whether that was the iron sweaters and the, the songs they were singing, but something after that kind of caught on, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure when they first came back to Ireland, but um, Kieran McMahon started playing them on Radio Air. And so they're kind of like, uh, there's a big to-do when they're, their first visit back home as a band. It was like the Beatles almost coming in. Yeah. I think there's a big crowd at the airport and they had suits on and the... Sweaters thrown over the shoulder, coming in off the yeah, off the yeah. plane, and the crowds like cheering. Superstars, yeah, and it had a big impact in Ireland because um, I remember Mick Maloney, I think it was, saying as a young fella at the time, seeing this happen, they're coming in the chests out and proud, and not you know when everybody at home seemed to be almost embarrassed about their culture and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, that all of a sudden it became this popular. Was, yeah. It became popular to be Irish. Well, I feel a song coming on. <laughs> Should what about we try it? one? What do we do? <laughs> All this talk of singing. Um, we'll do one from the show. We do Whistling Gypsy. All right. I sing along. In the key of E. 
a gypsy rover came over the hill Down through the valley so shady He whistled and he sang till the green woods rang And he won the heart of a lady And wandered the valleys all over He sought his daughter at great speed And the whistling gypsy rolled over Hi everyone. If you're listening to Clancy's Kitchen on various platforms or watching it on our YouTube channel, please press like and subscribe and feel free to leave a comment where you can. You can also contact us and get more information at www.clancyskitchen.com. Thank you.